Good evening and welcome once again to the digital campus of Newark United Pentecostal Church. We're glad to have you with us on this Pentecost Sunday evening. Yes, this is a very special day and uh, we want to welcome all of you first time or long term uh, member and watcher with us. If you need to know anything or want to know anything about Newark United Pentecostal Church, we invite you to go to newarkupc.info. It's the way most of you probably got here, but there are all kinds of information tabs there, and you are welcome to contact us, to join a small group, make a request for prayer or for baptism, and uh, leave us a note. I'll be talking a little bit more about that later. And I need to make an announcement tonight. Uh, we are on June the 2nd, that's a Wednesday night. Instead of having a lesson, we are going to have a called business meeting or meeting of the church. We have some things to discuss and so we invite all of you uh, to join us for that. It uh, has to do with getting back into our building, into our facilities. And we'd like for you to join us at seven o'clock Wednesday, June the 2nd for that meeting. Now to the church, I have a greeting of happy birthday. Oh yes, it's today that's the birthday of the church. The church had a starting point, you know, and for close to 2,000 years, it's been going through a process described as the perfecting of the saints. Just like a natural baby, we Christian babies have to grow and develop in the spirit just as we physically progress in the natural realm got to grow up. It's a process that we'll be studying in this coming week. All of us are involved in one phase or another of spiritual growth. Tonight, we will be studying the birthday itself, Pentecost. Now, there's a bit of fog that uh, surrounds the year of the church's beginning. But the day, the date is solidly settled. Uh, I read from the birth announcement. When the day of Pentecost was fully come. Yes, that's the birthday of the church at the outpouring of the spirit on that first Pentecost after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. Now, before we get too involved in the, the celebration of the beginning of the church, let's look at the history and some of, as usual, controversy associated with this festival. Pentecost was one of the three major festivals, Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles, uh, which all Jewish males were commanded to attend. That uh, This was not strictly a, a festival for men is evident by the command in Deuteronomy 16 to share the celebration with family members, servants, 
uh, Levites and any foreigners that might be in attendance, as well as the orphans and widows. Uh, some of these would surely only be there if they came as guests of the family. This was a celebration of the bounty of the Lord and was designed to promote generosity. These three festivals or feasts commemorated high points in an agrarian society, all these farmers. Passover corresponded, besides commemorating the Exodus, with uh, the barley harvest. And then Pentecost, or as it's called otherwise, the Feast of Weeks, celebrated the wheat harvest, while tabernacles celebrated the the year's harvest in general, as well as the uh, fruit harvest in particular, and it also imposed on them a reminder of their years of wandering in the wilderness. As with so many other things in the Bible, uh, there are teapot tempests associated with some factors is what is described in various places as uh, the Feast of Harvest in Exodus 23:16. The Feast of Weeks or the Feast of the First Fruits of Wheat Harvest in Exodus 34:22, and again in Deuteronomy 16:10, or as the Day of the First Fruits from Numbers 28:26. One way of interpreting the directions that are given for observing this feast makes the feast day fall on a particular day of the, of the calendar which was the 6th of Sivan. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but it was a, a Jewish month. And that means that the feast could come on various days through the week. The other way of construing or understanding the instructions always leads to celebrating Pentecost on a Sunday. That's the way we figure it. Uh, it was called on the morrow after the Sabbath in Leviticus chapter 23 and verse 16. Now, if this point were a matter of salvation, then surely it would have been made clearer in the scriptures. And the name we use, Pentecost, comes from the Greek of the New Testament. And it... Uh, means 50th, Pente, five, Pentagon, Pentecost, it leads us to 50 days because Pentecost came a counted 50 days after a particular point in the feast of the Passover. Now, there's a teaching that Pentecost was also a memorial of the giving of the law at Sinai. Now, there could be another teapot tempest. According to the New Unger's Bible Dictionary, and I quote, the scriptures do not clearly attach any historical significance to this festival, but seem to teach that Pentecost owes its origin to the harvest that terminated at this time. Uh, that's the end quote for that. Then within the same paragraph that says, quote, the Jews, at least as early as the days of Christ, 
connected with the Passover and commemorated on the 6th of Savan, Pentecost, the giving of the Ten Commandments. So at the start of the paragraph, they say it has no historical significance. And at the last of the paragraph, they say it's tied in with the giving of the law. The International Standard Bible Encyclopedia notes that, and again, I quote, the Old Testament does not give it, Pentecost, the historical significance which later Jewish writers have ascribed to it, end quote. Now, that significance being, of course, what we've already talked about, the giving of the law. It then follows up with the information that, and again, I quote, Philo, Josephus, and the earlier Talmud are all ignorant of this new meaning, which was given to the day, to the day Pentecost, in later Jewish history. It originated with the great Jewish rabbi, Maimonides. Now, in quote, uh, Maimonides was a famous rabbi who lived in the 12th century of the Christian era. So that's about 2,700 years after the events at Sinai. That's about the amount of time, roughly, that separates us from the fall of Jerusalem to the Babylonians. I'm not sure how he knew what had happened 2,700 years before when it's not written in scripture. So although there are some parallels which can be drawn between the giving of the law at Sinai and the giving of the spirit in Jerusalem, as well as the establishing of the nation of Israel and the founding of the church, some parallels, but there's no scriptural reference to them being happening on the same day. It makes a nice package of parallels, which might even be true. But since it can't be proven from the Bible, it must remain in the realm of speculation. Let's look at a few things about the Feast of Pentecost, which may have some significance and give a better understanding of the events and dialogue that particular day. Though there were several things offered on that day, probably the most significant thing, and certainly the most minutely described, were the two loaves of bread made from the first fruits of the wheat harvest. These loaves were baked with leaven, now remember that, because since they had leaven in them, they couldn't be burned on the altar. That was forbidden to burn leaven on the altar. And uh, some have assumed, notice that word, assume, that these two loaves baked with leaven in some way symbolize two branches of sinful humanity, Jew and Gentile presented alike and received alike before the Lord. After these two loaves had been presented, the rest of the harvest was then accessible to the nation. They didn't partake of that harvest until after these two loaves of bread had been presented. Now, since this was a required 
festival. Jews from every corner of the diaspora or the dispersion would make their way to Jerusalem at this time. Somebody who was half-hearted about his commitment to God wouldn't expend the time and finance to make what could be a long and arduous journey. This gives an extra emphasis to Acts chapter 2 and verse 5, where it says, And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. The audience to which Simon Peter spoke, uh, that first Christian message, was not constituted of a, a ragtag assortment of worldly Gentiles. Rather, it was composed of dedicated and faithful men, well acquainted with the Torah. They not only knew the verses that Peter used, but the context in which they were found. It's little wonder that their hearts were stirred as they considered these scriptures in the light of what was then recent events. This also gives us insight into linguistic conditions that have befuddled many who examined this part of the Bible. At least 18 language groups are enumerated in Acts 2 as having heard at least one of the group from the upper room praising God in their native tongue. Yet, for all these different forms of expression, Simon Peter was able to make himself understood to the entire group. You see, these were not monolingual Americans. That wasn't who Peter was preaching to on that day. As much of the world has been throughout the ages, these people would have been multilingual. And yet they shared one or more common languages. And uh, those languages would have been such things as Greek or Latin, possibly Hebrew, probably Hebrew for a lot of them, and or the common tongue of the day in that country, Aramaic. For instance, when I taught in the Bible school in New Delhi, India, it was not unusual for some of the students to speak as many as eight languages. And it wasn't always the same eight languages from one student to the next. But the reason I was able to teach there was that we all spoke English. I'm one of those monolinguistic Americans. The miracle gift of tongues was not, not for preaching to the crowd, but rather introduced the marvelous sign of submission that would recur continually throughout the ages, even still to today. There are many other points that are hidden in the text, but let me cover one more before moving on. In Acts 2, beginning with verse 13, we read, and I quote, 
from the New Living Translation. The others were from King James. This one says, but others in the crowd all ridiculed them, saying, they're just drunk, that's all. Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that, end quote. In Barnes notes, we find this comment. And again, I quote, it was a regular practice with the Jews not to eat or drink anything until after the third hour of the day. That's nine o'clock in the morning, especially on the Sabbath and on all festival occasions. Sometimes this abstinence was maintained until noon. So universal was this custom that the apostle could appeal to it with confidence as a full refutation of the charge of drunkenness at that hour, end quote. The already established fact that these listeners were devout would lend extra credibility in their minds to the proclamation of Simon Peter. What we have here is not a, a drunken brawl, but a noisy birthday party. And all those just born again were the ones doing the celebrating. We may get all wound up in the sound like wind, the sight like fire, or the phenomenon of tongues, but they, the celebrants, were ecstatic about the change that had just begun in them. Just as someone in, on the receiving end of a high voltage line can lose all muscular control, so the power of the spirit surging through them would tend to override any natural inhibition and lose such expressions of praise and worship as they had never before experienced. They were born out of custom into experience. They no longer lived in a realm of theory, but now walked in a new life of practice. Promise had become fulfillment through the baptism of the spirit. Pentecost, now it took on a new meaning that continues to this very day, literally today. It's no longer just an, another ritualistic observance from an ancient Eastern religion, but a living vital experience that's available to all and received by whosoever will. Let's have a party of praise, a celebration of commitment to accompany this gala of glory the Lord has made available to his crowning creation, 
humanity. <laughs> oh, a new kind of life has begun. Let's hear again the birth announcement from the delivery room. It's found in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And again, I'll go back to the King James Version. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Huh. That's quite a birth announcement. At the end of Simon Peter's explanation of what had just happened and why, many in the crowd wanted in on it. So he gave them these instructions in Acts chapter 2, verses 38 and 39. Again, King James Version. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is to you, is unto you and to your children, and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. You can receive the same gift today, right where you are. If you don't have this experience, you can have it. And although the scripture in Acts 2 that I just read gives the order of one, repent, turn from your sins, express a sorrow for them, one, repent, then two, be baptized in Jesus' name, and three, receive the Holy Ghost, or as some say, the Holy Spirit. Acts 10 gives the example of a group of people who were repented, and they received the Holy Ghost and were then baptized in Jesus' name. So either, either direction, either order is fine. In fact, I received the Holy Ghost before I was baptized. But soon as I received the Holy Ghost, I was ready to take on Jesus' name in baptism. So this very hour, you can receive the spirit in your life and you can have your own spiritual birthday. Wouldn't this be something to coincide with the birthday of the church? Repent, turn around from your sinful ways, express your sorrow for your sins or, or wrongs and believe God for his promise. Lift your voice in praise to him and let him give you the spirit. You're seeking God, not tongues, but you will hear God announce his presence when he speaks through you in a language you do not know. Let's pray. I'm going to pray for you and, and kind of model a little bit of 
maybe what you should be praying. Dear Jesus, we come before you now in prayer. We have sinned and lived in ways not pleasing to you. Forgive us of that wrong, rebellion, and ignorance. Strengthen us and help us to do what's right in your sight. Lord, I can't live right by my own strength and willpower. I need your help. I need your spirit within me. You sacrificed yourself on Calvary so that I could have this gift of the spirit. That's how much you want me to have it. I believe you. I worship you. I praise you. I thank you for what you are doing in me right now. Bless, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you've not yet received the Spirit, keep praying until you do receive it. When it happens, you may you may want to drop us a note in the comments section under the I'm new tab at newrqpc.info so we can rejoice with you. A birth is always a wonderful thing to celebrate. And God bless you. Keep praying and join us again Tuesday evening on the digital campus of Newark United Pentecostal Church as we study the process of growing as a Christian. God bless you and good night and happy birthday. <laughs>